What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Jason Timp Podcast. Thank you guys so much for taking time out of your day to come hang out and talk some basketball with Raj and I. You guys may know Raj as Unwritten Rules on Twitter. He's one of my favorite Laker accounts. Raj, how you doing, man? Doing great, man. Uh, we're up early here on the West Coast. It's around just, just past 9 a.m., so uh, wondering how many other people are awake this early. But uh, yeah, here we are. <laughs> I w- I'm impressed when you and I talked about doing this. I did not expect <laughs> us to actually do uh, what was necessary to get it done. But I'm glad we're going we're gonna to knock it out early here this weekend, and then we can go back to relaxing. I really do think that in spite of some unusual circumstances surrounding these first, what do we have now, uh, 10 games? Mm -hmm. Uh, Surrounding these first 10 games, I really do think there's some interesting stuff that we could take away from it. Um, We're going to talk about um, uh, how the Lakers' schedule may have had some impact on the way that they've been playing. We're going to talk about Anthony Davis and how he kind of seems to be I don't want to say unhappy, but he seems a little frustrated uh, with the defensive right. end and how some other stuff may have been impacting that. Uh, we're going to talk about Montrez Harrell and how his fit has been a little weird. And then we're going to talk a little bit about how the Lakers have changed their defensive scheme this year as a result of losing Dwight and JaVale and how that has kind of impacted them uh, in particular as, uh, as they've played some of these bad teams in the last week. Uh, and then we're going to take your guys' mailback questions. So, um, while we're talking, feel free to drop any questions you have in the comments. We're going to save some time there at the end to rapid fire through those. Um, but you know, on that note, we'll get started. The, I do. So the Lakers are uh, seven and three. Mm-hmm. They are currently second in offense and, uh, or excuse me, third in offense, and they are eighth in defense, second in net rating. The defense has slipped particularly as of late. The, the thing that I think is interesting is that the, it was hard enough to get these guys to turn around and come back and play basketball. We had these interviews from Danny Green and, and LeBron and himself saying like that he was really, really frustrated with the quick turnaround. You compound that with the situation with the fans where there's no adrenaline rush while they're playing. And then you add to that a weird schedule circumstance where all of a sudden like Carl Anthony Towns gets hurt and LaMarcus Aldridge gets hurt and John Morant gets hurt. And now they're basically playing like a bunch of NBA role players every single, every single day without any star talent on the floor that they're going against and it's kind of like night after night after night. And it's like, then again, last night, it's like, here we go with the Bulls. This is a terrible right. team. How about, let, let's see if we can try to find the energy in this empty, cavernous stadium to try to play hard again. And I really do think that, like, it, it's, it's been an immense challenge for these guys to find just the motivation to try to play hard. Yeah, for sure. And, like, I tweeted out the first quarter scores after the previous five games. Um, They gave up 30 points to San Antonio, Memphis, Memphis, San Antonio, um, Chicago. Um, They're down in all these games. And they're freaking out. They can just outscore them. And that's not a fun game to watch for the fans. That's not a fun game to see. Um, And then you can see Anthony Davis get frustrated. Um, I was looking at the, obviously, strength of schedule was a funny joke last year. But um, Lakers are uh, 16th in strength and schedule. Um, They have the 28th easiest schedule coming up. So I don't think you're going to see a lot of a lot of flips coming. Um, But it's kind of funny. You look at Denver, who's had the easiest or the second easiest in the three and five. So the season is is kind of strange. But yeah, that 
looking at these games and um i take away ring night they were down 20 in the first quarter i mean i'm not really sure what to do to do with that after that they blew out minnesota dallas um tough game against portland they couldn't hit a shot so uh it's kind of tough to really gauge where there are in terms of that and i think the schedule they went on the road um the road is different now right you can't leave your hotel room it's not like uh it's kind of like a bubble in of itself is what some of the people said um you can't go anywhere you can't even have dinner with your teammates in a way so um, it's just totally different. Um, Anthony Davis, after the final road game, was like, yes, let's get us home, please. Like, um, We've been on the road too long. It was like a four-game trip. And then you got to come back and play a Spurs team you just played twice. So, yeah, it's kind of tough. Uh, the schedule makers, I think they did him a favor, giving him a little bit easier schedule. Um, but, yeah, when you said seventh in defense, that's a surprise to me because that's, mm-hmm. they have not looked at at all. I feel like they've played 10 minutes with good defense a game and are somehow winning, <laughs> somehow winning these games. Yeah, and we're going to talk more about that later. the The reality is, is I think their defense has been pretty bad. <clears throat> the, the The bottom line is, is that like when you're playing inferior talent, mm-hmm. you can kind of beg them or d- you can dare them to make shots. You can, right. if they're if they're whatever their primary creator is, who's usually the fourth or fifth best guy on a new, on a normal playoff team, is is trying to create shots against one of your perimeter defenders. He's just going to be inefficient. It's 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 one of those things where like I'm, when we're talking about the defense later, we're going to try to focus on X's and O's because the reality is is looking at actual results given given what their circumstances are. You're just not going to get a lot from that. Um, and and again, I just the the last thing I'll say about the schedule is like I just I feel bad for them in a certain sense because you rushed them to come back after this super emotional, crazy, draining bubble experience. Like you rushed them to come back, right. and then they come back and they're playing in these empty stadiums against bad teams. It just has to be like a really, really challenging mental experience. You know, I, I just I don't I don't envy them in that regard. I there are some tough games coming up this uh, before the end of this month. They play the Bucks, they play the Warriors, they play the Rockets. They they play some good teams. They're gonna they're gonna have a chance to to get a little bit more adrenaline because I think I think that it's a cl- it's a classic case of you know when you, when you feel threatened that's when you can you can dig deep and find your normal reserves of energy and and I do believe they'll be able to do that um so the uh the first thing that I want to talk about uh in terms of just like a little bit more um uh focused topic so Anthony Davis Anthony Davis basically has been underwhelming on both ends of the floor on the defensive end, he's just been a little bit unfocused, a little bit, uh, a little bit sloppy, a little bit in and out with his effort. And then on the offensive end of the floor, he's been extremely perimeter oriented, more than usual. And some of that is by design because Frank Vogel has been ex- explicitly asking him to take more right. threes than he usually does. But some of it also is just it seems like he's kind of floating around and taking shots, settling with the intent of saving his legs and saving his energy for later in the season. Um, what are your thoughts so far on what you've seen from Anthony Davis? Are you concerned at all? Or are you just kind of like waiting for him to wake up? What are you, what are your, uh, what's your whole impression of that situation? So yeah, it all ties in, right? Like you were talking about, you rushed them back. Um, the Lakers won the title 90, like two days ago. I mean, if you look at a regular off season, you go from June, let's say you even play till June, you get like four months. And by the time you're in this stage of the season, it's like six months passed by. So when I look at him, he's taking a lot of mid-range pull-ups, like he's settling. He's not trying to get to the rim. 
but he's hitting them. So I mean, like if he's hitting his uh, if he's hitting his pull up jump shots, then I mean, go ahead, right? Why waste all that energy driving to the rim every time? Um, and he has taken a lot more threes. I'm fine with like the spot up threes. It's like the just dribble into like a three when it's a close game. Kind of those are the ones that are a little tough to to take. But I think he's been he's been fine right there. It's the defense that like you can tell he was super frustrated in that Spurs game. And then I feel like it's a combination. Like when you have a lack of effort, you also have a lack of awareness. You have a lack of communication. All those things go together. It's not just that people aren't trying. I think that's like a really easy way to just put that on. Like, oh, they're not trying yet. Like, I don't think that was the case in like the second half. I feel like they did want to win that Spurs game, but it's really tough to turn it on. And you have guys hot already. Like the Marcus Aldridge was on fire by the time that Anthony Davis tried to actually do something about it. Um, Deontay Murray was hitting pull-up shots over him. So when you get a team in rhythm like that, the way the Lakers are starting games, like I know Anthony Davis after the game was like, no, we were terrible on defense. But I mean, you can't start games like going 50% effort by the time teams are hot. You saw with the Bulls last night, I think um, Zach Levine started nine for nine or something like some crazy amount. Um, Anthony Davis didn't play that night, but still you can just see the effort effort wane. And I think he'll be fine. We saw in the bubble last year, people are kind of worried those regular bubble games before the playoffs. Um, I think his jumper was kind of off. And then all of a sudden in the playoffs, it just turned on. Uh, and we know the stealing of this team. So I'm, I'm not worried about him yet. Uh, 10 games in, um, I think it's going to take a few weeks. You can see his conditioning still try to get up there. Uh, I'm not sure if he's still hurt. Uh, he sat out last night, but yeah, I, th- I think he'll be okay. He just, I mean, his aggression will pick up. I'm sure nobody wants to lose games. I see you say this a lot. Competitors will eventually like not want to get their ass beat every night. Like even though they're seven and three somehow, but uh, it's, it feels like they've been down most, most of these games. Well, I think the, I think their record as a result of the inferior competition they've been playing has kind of lulled them to sleep. And I think that's what right. actually did hurt them against the Spurs. And it's the reason why they barely beat the Bulls last night, even without AD. That was a team they should have been able to handle a little bit more comfortably. But yeah. I mean, the, the reality is, is like, I agree with you. Like, you can't just blame it on effort. It's, it's, it's a lot of different factors. I do think mm-hmm. effort's part of it, especially from a consistency perspective, because like basketball is a game of runs and you're going to blow leads and or, you know, get yourself behind when you go through a five, 10 minute period where you're floating around. That's just kind of how it goes. The mm-hmm. specifically, like, I, th- I think that uh, you made a great point as it pertains to confidence with these guys. You know, b- basketball, particularly with jump shooting, you that you there is you're you're constantly like building into your rhythm you know i i feel like most jump shooters you'll talk to will say this to you they'll say early in the game they're not necessarily concerned about a couple of misses because they're dialing things in you know they're they're feeling okay like i'm a little bit left to right here i'm a little bit long or short they make those little slight adjustments and then when they get confident once they get into their rhythm it doesn't matter really how close you are to them. If they can get up into their shooting motion, it's going to go in. And I thought that was a classic case of what happened against the Spurs. Early in the game, the Lakers let them get comfortable. And as the game progressed, even when the Lakers dialed up their defensive intensity, they were just so comfortable and in their rhythm that that extra space that was taken away by the Lakers' increased defensive intensity didn't bother them at all. And they were able to just get what, uh, you know, they were able to make, they like, the Spurs beat the Lakers that night with jump shots, which was pretty right. crazy. That it's a, it's not a common thing to see over great defense, but that's that's something to keep an eye on. So I think that Anthony Davis's struggles are a product of two things, and we're going to talk about them each here individually. Um, I think it has to do with 
a little bit with Dennis Schroeder and just not that Dennis Schroeder is a problem, but just that he's a new circumstance that is requiring this Laker team to play a little bit differently on the offensive end of the floor. Right. And then the second thing has to do with their pick and roll coverage, which we'll get to in a minute. But with Dennis Schroeder, you know, I was pushing and, and, and talking about this all like nonstop before the season. You and I talked about it on a couple of occasions, you know, Dennis Schroeder was worried about his starting role as a result of the uh, um, as a result of his ego, for lack of a better term. Okay, and Schroeder's and Schroeder's been great this season. For the record, he's been excellent on the defensive end for the most part, with the exception of Anthony Davis ripping him a new one over that Spurs game. But uh, and then on offense, he's been pretty good. He's shooting right around thirty four and a half percent from three, so it's not quite as good as last year, but it's okay. And I feel like he's had a lot of really good offensive games. The problem is, is I think you could also draw a line between that and Anthony Davis's offensive rhythm. So for the record, as Zach Lowe pointed out in his podcast yesterday, the Lakers starting lineup with either KCP or Kuz with Schroeder, LeBron, AD, and, uh, and Marcus All is doing really well. So mm-hmm. the, the starting lineup is doing well. Where they're losing these first quarters is in the second half of the first quarter when LeBron goes to the bench. But I really do think that you have to look beyond just that specific focused window and understand that even though the team is performing well on the scoreboard in those minutes, Anthony Davis isn't really getting a lot of touches in those minutes. And so as a result of that, it's kind of warping the rhythm of the game a little bit so that when LeBron goes to the bench and suddenly they start feeding AD at the end of the first quarter, he's not really in any sort of rhythm. And now he's, you know, just taking jump shots and, he, and, and you know, and the, the, the bottom line is, is that I, I think that, you know, the tinkering with their lineups has to be involved with understanding the rhythm of every player on the floor and not just, you know, not just how Dennis is feeling about his particular ego situation. And even if he wants to start, maybe it's as simple as instead of having LeBron go to the bench first at the five minute mark having Dennis go to the bench first at the five minute mark or something along those lines. I just think there's some tinkering that needs to be done there because Anthony Davis needs to be getting more attempts early in the game instead of worrying so much about Dennis and how he's feeling with the ball in his hands. Yeah. You made a great point there because LeBron is playing a lot with that second unit um, with like Harrell and it's also Schroeder on the floor as well. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of guys to feed there. I feel like AD is also trying to find his place next to Marcus Saul. It feels like when he's next to Mark, he's still a jump shooter. Like he turns even more into a jump shooter. So um, it's kind of it's kind of strange to see that. And I would like him to get more reps with Shooter. Um, they can obviously run, pick, and roll. Um, they do it pretty well, um, especially when when it's no LeBron on the floor and it's just him and AD running uh, running ball screen actions. Um, but yeah, I would like to see that a little bit more in the second unit. I feel like um, you should stagger Shooter and LeBron's minutes a little more, so then AD can kind of play with him. And I think that's a good point that he's not getting his touches early. But again, when he's like, you know, walking through first quarters and just standing on the side while Shooter and Mark play pick and roll or LeBron is attacking, like it's hard to get a rhythm for him. And I, like, I think I said this before, um, he's a guy that hasn't played with a low motor before. Like he's a he's a guy that likes to go 100 miles per hour a second. So he's a guy that's learning how to like, you know, go 65 percent for the first three quarters and then bump it up in the final in the final quarter of a game. And I think that comes with um, experience. And I feel like the lineups are still I don't think Vogel is really putting out lineups to just win that game. He's doing a lot of like experimenting. I mean, last night we saw like THT Caruso and Schroeder playing 
playing playing lineups and it was just a lot of strange experiments going on but yeah like you said on the zach Lowe pod i think he said the starters are doing really well um even the starters with west matthews kuzma all have really great minutes it's just that bench with harrell um and ad which is still struggling to, to kind of find offense when it's uh when it's lebron out there running it uh, but yeah i'd like him to play a little bit more shooter uh if, if he can in that bench unit well, the thing with Schroeder that you got to keep in mind too is like he's not a traditional point guard. Like he's right. he's not. Like now, for the record, and there's a much larger conversation to be had here about the way basketball has changed in the sense that there's just not a lot of natural point guards out there. I was talking right. about this with some guys this morning as it pertains to the Clippers because they desperately need a point guard, like a guy who can set up their main guys. But there's just not that many guys around the league because the natural guard that's being raised in our basketball system in America right now is being raised to be a scoring guard. And so, and and it's interesting how that's kind of changed the league, but Schroeder is wired that way. Schroeder is wired to go. You're just being an effort for a guy. Well, so Schroeder, Schroeder Mm -hmm. is a a weapon. He's he's, like a better analogy. He's a bullet. You aim him, you shoot him and he just goes like he knows how to do one thing and he knows how to do it extremely aggressively in one style and, and way. He's going to put a ball pressure defensively and be a pest. And then on the offensive end, he's just going to go. He's going to go to the rim as many times as relentlessly as he can. He's not a guy who's going to feel the flow of a game and be really attentive to the rhythm of the players around him. He's going to be primarily focused on what he does best. That doesn't make him unvaluable. It just means that if he's being used in that starting lineup, you're not going to be able to convince him to play a more passive role because it goes against his basketball identity. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, the key there is like that uh, it's not even so much about um, it's not even so much about like uh, 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 understanding that D- that Dennis Schroeder's ego is, is at risk. It's all what's also at risk is his own specific talent that he brings to the table by allowing him to come in later or to go out quicker and then come back in with the bench lineups, you can allow him to be that super aggressive, you know, bull in a China shop and it, and it plays directly into his strengths. And then Anthony Davis, when he comes in at that point, he'd be in a better rhythm because he had more shot attempts and was more aggressive early in the game. It's just, it's just something to keep an eye on. I, like I said, I, it, it, it has become abundantly clear that they have no intention of removing him from the starting lineup. So it just it just appears that the, the collateral damage from this is Anthony Davis struggling to get into a rhythm early in the games. And yeah, it's something to keep sure. and, and even LeBron's touches and usage and stuff are, are way down from last year. Um, uh, it, everyone, everyone's sacrificing in that regard. It's, yeah. and, and maybe that's part of their long-term vision of this like three-star kind of, of construct. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I hope that Anthony Davis's frustrations are purely based on the defensive end and then he's not harboring something that has to do with this, this situation with his touches. Yeah. Uh, re- really quickly on Anthony Davis. Um, he had a quote after one of the games and, or like, I think Vogel had a quote. He's like, we didn't get Anthony Davis involved enough in the offense. Right. And my whole thing is like, you're Anthony Evan Davis. Like no one gets, like, you go get yourself involved in the offense, go demand like a post touch, you know, go get a duck in, but that's just not what he's doing right now. And he looks more than happy to just sit and wait. And then, you know, and then watch as other players run the offense. So, and I was looking at the numbers, his free throw rate is way down. You know, his shots in the paint are way down. Um, he's shooting all these mid range, like long shots. And that just shows that he's settling. I mean, 
against the Spurs, he had a play where um, he went into the post against Aldridge, spinned and dunked it. And I just thought, like, you can do that any time you want. Like, it's it's right there. Marcus Aldridge is a great player. He has no business guarding Anthony Davis, like, you know, in isolation. So I was just looking at that. He can do that kind of anytime he wants. But, yeah, you look at the free throw rate, um, his shots in the paint, that tells me all I really need to know with him. And um, I think he's taken more shots out of the paint than he has inside, which – it's just strange considering the Marcus all was supposed to kind of open that up for him to be the one in the paint. But it seems like Mark is kind of in the dunker spot for some reason. It's kind of like flipped. Um, I'm not sure if that's just scheme or if that's uh, just because Anthony Davis is kind of walking around during the start of game. So, yeah, but like to your point, I think he'll be fine. He'll get in a better rhythm uh, as we go here. Well, I think you're absolutely right. Like that in that particular that particular game where Vogel had that quote was one of the worst games I've ever seen Anthony Davis play. Like he was absolutely BSing the entire night. And I was I I was really annoyed by that comment. And I remember uh tweeting some stuff out about it that night, but I was I was frustrated because I wanted to be like, like, look, does Anthony Davis need to get more touches? Yeah, but dude, now is not the time to be saying that he had literally one of the most passive games on both <laughs> both ends of the floor that I've ever seen. And, right. and the the reality of, of the Anthony Davis experience is, is you're right. He is an alpha. He can demand that. You know, I was watching Bulls Lakers last night, and at the end of the game, LeBron just kept looking at Schroeder and saying, "Give me the ball," and he did. It was right. funny. They kept inbounding to Schroeder. And Schroeder would bring the ball up the floor, and LeBron would just come up and get it from him. And it's like <laughs> the point is, is like like. LeBron and AD are at a status in this league that there's not a player in the league that they can look at and say, give me the ball and they won't give it to him. Anthony right. Davis does command that kind of respect. It's, it's absolutely something that he can, that he can bring to the table. And, and you're absolutely right. Like, like it's not just the, uh, it's not just the rhythm and the shot attempts and his defense, like some of these shot charts that he's putting up are laughable. There was one, uh, two nights ago in Memphis where he had one shot attempt in the paint and yeah. took like 24 shots. Like that's, that's just inexcusable. Like you, even if you're trying to save yourself, Right. There's just no way in the world that a guy as physically talented as as he is can't be getting more attempts closer to the rim. And it, but we'll, we'll keep an eye on it. It's I don't, I'm I'm with you. I don't think there's any reason to be concerned. It's just right. frustrating. It's frustrating that like coming into the season, you might have told yourself like, hey, like LeBron's probably going to coast, and mm-hmm. they're really going to lean on Anthony Davis because he's 27 or 28 or whatever he is. And, and the reality is, is like he's primed to go on an MVP type of run and, on a really good team and, 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 and be the guy who kind of takes that mantle. And right. the exact opposite has happened. LeBron's like, like squarely in the MVP conversation. Anthony Davis is taking nights off and LeBron is carry, like, like LeBron, LeBron is approaching this season with a lot more urgency than Anthony Davis has been. And I, and it's, it's not a problem because I know Anthony Davis is going to be ready when the time comes. It's just weird. Like it's just, it's just a strange, it's a strange outcome that you would not have expected under the circumstances. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And like you've watched LeBron, like obviously through his all Cleveland days and as well, is he just better at looking more engaged? Like I'm wondering, cause I watched LeBron and I know he's coasting, but I don't see it. Cause he's still like putting his head down and just getting to the rim. Like, it's not like he's taking all these jump, jump shots. He's still getting to the rim. So maybe he's, is he just better at looking like he's not coasting? Cause I know he is obviously he's not going hundred percent full LeBron, but just like when you're watching a game, just like through a 48 minutes, you, 
I don't watch the game and like, oh, LeBron's like taking this position off. You know what I mean? Like he's still attacking the rim from the get go. He's getting to the line um, when it matters. Uh, so I'm, I'm just wondering, like, as as you you've watched LeBron for a long time, is he like just better at looking like he's not? Because when I watch Anthony Davis, I can clearly see like, oh, this dude does not care about these three minutes of basketball that I just watched. But I watch LeBron, I'm like, I don't get that. On the rewatch, I see it. I'm like, oh, he was resting here. He was like, he wasn't caring about this possession, but just live, you don't, you don't catch that from him. So maybe that's just, maybe that's just him. Some of it has to do with him uh, um, having an easier defensive set of responsibilities. Uh, so that's part of it. They're putting him on a lesser defense, a uh, lesser offensive player. That's, that, that's definitely part of it. So it, like he, you know, if they were constantly attacking LeBron James and pick and roll, like he wouldn't be able to, to coast as much as he does on the defensive end. So that's definitely part of it. The other part of it, honestly, is just, he is so smart now at this phase of his career that mm-hmm. he under, he understands how to efficient, efficiently use his energy. And uh, I think like, I think that it's, it's, it's one of the most underrated parts when we're evaluating players. We're so obsessed with like, Oh, he looks like he lost a step or, right. you know, Kawhi's looking a little slow right now or, or, you know, Steph Curry's not getting as much separation as he used to. And you're like, well, actually all of these guys are better than they used to be because they're just seeing and understanding the game at a higher level than they used to. And and that's, what's crazy is like LeBron, LeBron hasn't really had a lot of like explosive athletic plays this year. Right. But he, but I would argue that he's, that he's scoring in a, in a, in an easier looking fashion than I can remember in a long time. And, and, and I think a lot of that has to do with just, just he is, he's anticipating things and, and just like, he's one, he's like one or two steps ahead of the defense at every single moment. And he's just, he's, I tweeted the other day, he's, playing basketball offensively at a higher plane mentally than any other player in the league right now. And as a result of that, he can you like, if you watch him sometimes on a pick and roll, like he'll slow down and get the defender on his hip and he'll take like four or five dribbles to kind of just inch his way towards the basket right. and then wait for right at that exact moment when the shot blocker kind of drops back to the dunker for a second. And then he'll shoot his little floater or his hook shot or a pump fake to get him off his feet. And he'll go up like, that's just old man, veteran, savvy <laughs> right. stuff that just uses very little energy, but is damned effective. And that's the, that, that to me has been the funnest part of watching him this year. And, and, and for the record, like it's one of the reasons why I do think he deserves to be in the MVP conversation is the, the Lakers have been, for lack of a better term, shit uh, in a lot of these games. But he's been, he's been very fine-tuned in when he's aggressive and understanding when the game is slipping one way or the other and just grabbing control of it. And that's why they're seven and three. They're seven and three because LeBron has, has been very uh, deliberate about when he's aggressive and he's been able to close a lot of these games. Mm-hmm. And, and, and now I, 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 for the record, and we'll talk about this more later, but like the, the LeBron to win the MVP, the Lakers would have to just have a ridiculous record. I don't actually think he'll win it, but the reason why he's even in that conversation, which you never in a million years would have thought would have been the case given right. the circumstances is just because he's discovered a way to be a really effective basketball player without using a lot of energy. It, it, it really is that simple. Um, so I want to move on to this, this uh, uh, defense, uh, uh, this defensive scheme that the Lakers have been using. So for the record, I was really, really impressed by this video that I saw. It, uh, I, he, I tried to find out what his real name is. I think it's Tim Krangis, but he goes by Krangis McBasketball. A lot of you guys follow him. He's a, he does uh, NBA agent and player and team consulting. 
he's like an analytics guy and, and he's, he's just really, yeah. really, he's really, really smart with the, the X's and O's. And it was my first time watching one of his videos yesterday and I was really, really impressed. So shout out to Tim. If you guys don't follow him, you need to follow him and watch his videos. It's really, really good stuff. So um, he did this video yesterday and it was really interesting. It had to do with the Lakers pick and roll coverage. So last year when they had Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee, because they were better shot blockers and better presences around the rim, they used like a modified version of drop coverage where the, the basically whenever the roll man or the drive, the, the ball handler were getting into the lane, the uh, Dwight or JaVale or Anthony Davis would drop to whichever the lowest man was. And if, uh, if the ball handler, handler became the lowest man, he would shift over to the ball handler. Or if the, if the ball handler was hanging back and the roll man was going to the rim, he dropped to the roll man. And it, right. it worked because they were so long and athletic around the basket with JaVale and Dwight that they were able to just kind of funnel guys into the length and block a lot of shots. And the Lakers led the league in block shots last year. And then the ball handler would chase the guy over the top. So mm-hmm. what they're doing this year um, uh, is what's called a catch hedge, which essentially involves a soft trap. It's not really a trap, but basically they're doubling the ball handler off the ball screen, but loosely. Right. And when they do that, the other three guys have to be in rotation. In the drop coverage, they could play it two on two. So the other guys on the floor were in a more traditional uh, like man-to-man situation. But right. as a result of this trapping uh, strategy that they're using on these pick and rolls, it immediately is leading to uh, a rotation on the back end where guys are playing four on three. Now, where th- that, that's a problem in, in two, uh, for two reasons. And I, when I say problem, I don't mean a problem with the defensive scheme. Just it's presented problems for the Lakers early on. Because of the fact that they've been a little sloppy and lazy and unfocused, and as a result, they're not able to execute their rotations properly. Because rotations on the back end, it's a scramble, and it's all about instinct and knowing where guys are going to go, and it's all about effort and focus. So if you're bringing 40% effort and 60% focus to the table, you're going to lose guys in these rotations all the time. So that's been the first problem with it. And then the second problem with it is that guy who's doing the catch hedge. So the, the, the big man, the, whether it's Montrez Harrell or it's Anthony Davis or Marcus Gasol, when they're coming over and hedging on the ball handler, they're being a little bit too unaggressive and, 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 and passive in the sense that they're, they're doubling, they're leaving the role man, but they're not really bothering the ball handler. So as a result, the dames of the world or the, the, any of these uh, primary De- DeMar DeRozan, whoever it is, these primary ball handlers for these other teams are able to throw really efficient and quick like bounce passes or chest passes to the role man. And it's putting the, the Laker rotations in a step behind. Whereas mm-hmm. if they were a little more aggressive and active with that hedge, they could force them to throw a looping pass over the top. Or maybe like tip a pass or two that that's getting pat that's getting thrown through uh, uh, you know uh, in the pocket pass to try to slow down that first pass to let the rotations catch up. And and, right. the, and the last thing I'll say about it is uh, the the whole point of the catch hedge is it's better for the playoffs. And Tim does a really good job of explaining this in his video because in the playoffs you're constantly playing super elite um, primary ball handlers. Mm-hmm. And it, this forces the ball out of their hands. And it's a much better defensive scheme in the playoffs, even though it can hurt you from time to time in the regular season. And it, it, it's supposed to not only get the ball out of their hands, but it's a more aggressive defense that is supposed to force turnovers. Mm-hmm. And the Lakers are 28th in turnovers forced this year. 
so they're they're getting all of the bad that comes with this defensive scheme without any of the good because they haven't quite been aggressive enough on that primarily primary ball handler to prevent them from just immediately having a, an aggressive four on three opportunity when guys are wide open. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And like, obviously, you don't have the rim protection of last year. So this team is kind of relying on those turnovers, right? Like when you watch against Minnesota, Dallas, when they blew them out, they just created a lot of turnovers on their aggression. Um, and I like when they're more aggressive. Um, like I tweeted this out, like I like when Mark is trapping hard, like I don't like him. I think they tried out some drop coverages early on. And it's just too easy for the guard to just get right to the rim and finish over. Mark is in the right position. It's just that he's just not at that level anymore where he can change the shot at the rim. So I like when he's more aggressive trapping. And you're right. Like you can't be going 60% and playing this trapping trapping scheme because you have to be in perfect rotations. The guy who's in the paint needs to know whether he's closing out to the corner or to the wing. So, and then you'll, a lot of instances you'll have, especially in the Spurs game, you had guys, two guys running to the corner and you had a wide open three. And then two guys were into the wing, a wide open corner shot. So, and also Anthony Davis is chasing around a lot of guys um, this year. Um, they have him on like, uh, I think they have him on DeRozan and guards like that, where he's kind of moving around screens, which means he's not really near the paint as much mm-hmm. this year as I see as he was last year. That's kind of impacting it. I don't know if that'll change um, going forward. Um, but yeah, that's mostly why. And the, the Trez, um, I, I like him when he's aggressive. I don't like Trez in a back drop coverage at all. I think it just leads to really bad habits for him. Um, he has a bad habit of like when a screen comes, he just comes, he just sits all the way back. So he just sit in the paint and these dudes are walking into jumpers. You can't do that with Deontay Murray, with DeMar DeRozan. That's exactly what they do. That's what they get paid to do to hit those little mid range pull-ups. He needs to be up and, uh, I thought last night he was a lot better. He was a little bit more aggressive, um, especially with Zach Levine late in the game. Um, they had him go all the way up, and uh, I think he contest- contested like two late shots. So I think you're right, though. They yeah, played that against Zach Levine won the game winner that he missed. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah exactly. And against, like, I think Houston in the playoffs, they did this as well. They had guys just trapping him um, a lot against Dame. So like like you said, it's a little bit more uh, play playoff ready kind of basketball, um, getting guys uh, trapping. But trapping is always tough because you're at a disadvantage, right? Once you trap, you are at a disadvantage no matter what happens. Um, so you have guys running around trying to get to shooters, and it's all about communication. I think that's what Anthony Davis was pissed off about at the end. He said our schemes, our communication was awful. So, um, but that's on him. He's on the he's on the back line. He needs to be talking. He needs to be talking back there. Um, I know he blamed Dennis Schroeder, but you know that, that's that he's uh, he's in charge of the defense. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think you're right. I think the scheme is different this year. Um, and it, it needs to be a turnover, turnover based defense. Uh, they're very aggressive. If you're aggressive like that, you need to force the turnovers, um, to, to, uh, offset, uh, the easy attacks at the rim. Mm-hmm. And, and for, for the record, they have the personnel to run this defense. It's just, right. this, is, this is a brand of defense that will get exposed if you're not playing hard. That's just, that's just the reality of the situation. NBA players now are too smart with the ball to uh to run a lazy trapping scheme against them and and just let them play four and three all night they're gonna kill you like and you made a great example like uh the the, in the game against dame montrez was this was and i was complaining about it that night before i even saw tim's video like montrez was kind of in no man's land like he was he was hedging over on dame but it was like such a soft hedge that Dame was just literally taking two dribbles over and throwing a pocket pass to the roll man. And the roll man was already like in the pocket pass was so perfect and dialed in and fast that the, the roll man was, was already at the rim before the backline defender could get over and stop him. And, yeah. and that's the problem. It's like if Montrez is aggressively hedging, like with effort and, and cause he has super long arms too. 
just making Dame have to like, I don't know, do a pass fake before he throws the pocket pass or have to loop it over the top because if he throws a bounce pass, it'll get stolen. That sort of thing just slows down the action and gives the the back line of the defense the chance to recover. Uh, but yeah, bottom line, they're going to be fine. They've got the personnel uh, to do this. It's going to be better for them in the playoffs. But right now they're going through some growing pains as a result of one, it's a new scheme. So they need to just get used to it. And two, they're just a little bit less dialed in than, than, uh, uh, than they will be later in the season. Uh, but, it, but it will inevitably work out. I think this is a perfect time to, to segue into Trez because, you know, um, uh, so Zach Lowe actually talked about Trez yesterday as the one player on the Laker roster that didn't really make sense. And there's some truth to that. A couple things he brought up. Montrez is not playing with LeBron and AD much at all. He's specifically playing in lineups when they're staggering. Um, uh, he is still, he, I think he's doing a couple things particularly well. He's still offensive rebounding ext- extremely well. He's had a lot of, uh, of random key moment, uh, you know, post mismatch attacks where he'll get an and one or bully through someone and get a basket. But we are at a point though, where it is time to start acknowledging that he hasn't been great on the defensive end of the floor. And, and, and a lot of that has to do with, uh, um, his size limitations. A lot of that has to do with him, you know, caring more about the offensive end and you could see it in his body language and in his effort. Um, but, but a lot of it has to do with the fact that, you know, you're, you're literally requiring a, a six foot six inch tall guy to be your, your primary pick and roll big defender. And it's just, it's, it's, it's causing some problems. So my, my question for you is, is like, are you at all concerned with, with the Trez situation or do you view him as like a, you know, the Lakers have such a huge margin for error. Who cares? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure there are concerns. Like I think Clipper fans are right a little bit that he's not obviously this backline defender. I think the problem for me is like Vogel's playing him a lot with Marquise Morris. So it's, it's like a Marquise Morris, Montrez Harrell, um, uh, forward center at the bench and that's just a really tough thing for him to be the main uh, cog as your uh, defensive rim protector uh, on that back line and he's having to switch a lot more um, and I kind of like him when he's switching but uh, you can just tell he's not comfortable out there yet um, especially knowing where to be on defense there's a lot of like when someone scores he's like where was my help like he does that <laughs> he does that a lot when uh, when someone scores you could just tell he's still kind of confused on mm-hmm. where the rotations are and he plays with a lot of like experimental lineups like uh, one, one night he'll play with like THT Matthews. He've, he, it's like just tough for him to get any kind of rhythm. Uh, and he's a guy that's like begging for screen roll actions. Like he just, like you could tell anytime a guard brings it up, he wants to run like screen roll action. And he's playing a lot of minutes next to LeBron uh, without AD, without Schroeder. So, and LeBron's not really a screen roll action type player. He wants to go in the post and isolate. And that just leaves Harold in the dunker spot. And then they'll just have a big there. So LeBron is looking for that dump off, dump off pass to him, but it's just blocked there, right there. Um, it's causing a lot of turn- turnovers. Um, and his finishing, it seems like he's rushing. I don't know if you like if you see that as well. Like when I see him catch it down low, he seems to rush the shot a lot. Like he'll get the offensive rebound and put back, and then do his like scream and one, which which is awesome. I think that turns the team up. Um, but yeah, it seems like he rushes a lot of shots down low, and he doesn't get as many isolation touches as I thought he would. Like. It seems like when he gets one, he uh, he kind of rushes. He'll take like a step back jumper or um, like he'll drive in and try to finish over two guys. So I think he'll get his rhythm back. But again, I would like him to play with a little bit more pick and roll action. Like him and THT look good. THT does a good job finding him. Like he's just begging to run like screen actions. And when he's playing with LeBron, he's just sitting in that dunker spot waiting for the ball because he's not spacing the floor. So he's the, he's the center. And so that's that's his job there. And it's hard for him 
you could tell, right? He's a rhythm player. Like he's a rhythm player. Once he gets that first and one, it's like, okay, here we go. The game started. He starts to talk a little crap to the other backup center. Like, oh, you can't guard me. You know, things like that just gets him, gets him going. And I think just getting him a couple buckets early kind of keeps his energy up on, uh, on both ends. Hmm. Well, and I a hundred percent agree. I think, I think like, uh, uh, you can, you can see him visibly getting not annoyed, but just confused by what he's supposed to do while he's out there. Yeah. And what I like about him is he doesn't pout if he found, if he finds out, okay, I'm not going to be involved in this action. He just bullies his way under the rim and tries to get offensive rebounds. So he, there's been, there has been a lot of good to come with the bad with Montrez Harrell. Um, I view him as a, as a luxury and not a necessity. Um, I thought Dak Lowe framed it really well in his pod yesterday. He said he's a regular season innings eater. And that, that's what he is. He's a, he's a guy that, that raises your overall talent to the team to help carry you on the average nights in the, in the regular season when you need just, you just need somebody to step up. The, the bottom line is, is the Lakers this season when they play LeBron and Anthony Davis in no center. So LeBron and AD and three perimeter players. They're getting, uh, they've only done that for 31 minutes, but they're outscoring teams by 25 in those 31 minutes. So the, at the end of the day, the Lakers still have this ace in the hole, which is we're going to put LeBron at the four and Anthony Davis at the five. And we're going to go with some combination of perimeter players based on who's been playing well, who's been defending well. And we're going to be able to bully teams physically while at the same time having this ridiculous offensive versatility and offensive talent. So they're going to be fine. It's not a necessity. The uh, Montrez Harrell is basically who we thought he was. Um, and there's, and there's no point in being, you know, Mr. Captain hindsight and going back and being like, well, what if we did this instead, you know, assigning someone else? Like it is what it is. This is what he is. He's gonna, he's gonna bring a lot of good and a lot of bad. That's pretty typical for a guy who comes off your bench. And, you know, I, I, I'm not really overly concerned with it. Um, all right. So let's go for the next 18 minutes here before we're done. Let's, uh, uh, let's hit some questions. So, um, first of all, we had uh, one from Jason Maples, my guy. He says, thoughts on Schroeder as a starter versus off the bench. We did talk about that earlier. So, all you got to do is hop on when I release the pod, come back at the at the beginning. As we both said, like, we're, we're kind of concerned with how it might be impacting Anthony Davis's rhythm. I uh, tend to think that he should be coming off the bench. It'd be better for literally everybody involved, but seems pretty clear that his ego is going to dictate doing the opposite. Um, what adjustments should Frank make to improve the on off numbers when Braun is on the bench? As I showed the other day, after getting off to a pretty good, pretty good start to season, the LeBron on off stuff is actually worse than it was last year. They're negative without him instead of just slightly above positive like they were last year. And they're massively positive with LeBron on the floor. So what, what do you think? What's a way to try to improve that? Yeah, I think I brought this up earlier. Like, you have Schroeder and LeBron starting, which is fine. I think Schroeder has earned a starting spot. You want him coming off the bench still, but um, I think, you know, he's kind of played well enough that you can kind of keep him there. Uh, but the problem is, like, he's not playing with that second unit at all, so you really don't have, like, a like a main creator. It's like THT, who's great, but, you know, he's 20 years old and still kind of finding his ropes. And Caruso, I think last night you had THT and Caruso trying to create shots, and that's just really tough. And also, like, AD is kind of playing with uh, Montres Harrell. And, you know, those lineups kind of uh, – and, again, it's 10 games, so you really don't know how loud those numbers are uh, are yet. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's early to see. I think that's the main thing I would do. I would like to create a – I would like to keep one of LeBron and Schroeder on the on the floor at kind of all times uh, to keep – I know THC is getting there, but he's not the – 
he can be creating for a NBA level offense right now, like a championship championship team level um, offense. So that's, that's the main adjustment I would do and kind of see how that goes with the numbers. Um, I think this also has to do with the effort level. As we talked earlier, um, AD is walking through these games um, at least in the first half. And that's going to make these numbers even louder because he's the defensive, he's the force on defense. That's, that's his job. And uh, so that's, I think that's mostly what those numbers speak to. Yeah, I 100% agree. I, th- I think there's one really, really obvious, easy, clear fix for this. It's to bring Schroeder off the bench, have him, have have LeBron and AD start the game, have Schroeder come in at the six minute mark when LeBron checks out, and literally shoot Schroeder out of cannon, and and then and then run. I'd run Caruso with him because then the two of them are such great ball pressure guards. Okay, so you can run in that role as well. But the bottom line is, is then your defense is picking up, and you've got you know Schroeder being optimized in what he's bringing to the table. But it's clear that that's not going to happen. So the reality is, I'm with you. It's about effort. It's about honestly just getting Anthony Davis to understand that he's the fourth best player in the world or even better potentially. And that the only way that they're going to be positive in the LeBron off minutes is that if you start playing up to your potential, um, uh, I I do think that that's going to correct over time. The bench is too talented. I think that I think that most of that weird statistical anomaly has to do with, with uh, their scheduling and just guys not really playing particularly hard. All right, let's see. Do you think LeBron could snag an MVP? So as I, as I said earlier in the show, I think there's an outside shot for it and it's pretty much dependent on no rising star, meaning like guys like Luca, you know, continue to be floundering around the bottom of the standings guys like Giannis uh, not getting votes because the NBA is kind of sick of him in his regular season uh, stuff. And then the Lakers just kind of ending up at the top of the standings by a decent margin, two or three games, and, and part of that involves Anthony Davis struggling. Like if Anthony Davis is right there with him, I don't think he could get it either. So I, right. it, it, for me, it's like an outside shot. I, don't, I, it, I think he'll be right up in there in the voting, but I don't necessarily see it as a realistic outcome unless a lot of things break his way. Yeah, exactly. I just think like Anthony, you can't, I don't know, LeBron can't win MVP with Anthony Davis next to him. Like, I just don't see that happening. I don't see that getting voted for. Mm-hmm. And, that, and like you said, that means Anthony Davis had a really bad season, which Again, that means a lot worse than than LeBron just getting his uh, his MVP. Exactly, uh, Kuz still doesn't have a designated role on this team. What is what is his best way to be effective on offense? What do you think? Yeah, it's tough. Like he still looks like he doesn't know where to be, where shots should come from. Um, he seems like a guy who takes a lot of like heat check shots um, before he's hit a shot. It's a, it's a funny kind of thing that he does take like a contested three. Um, uh, yeah, I feel like he just needs to be a little like you could tell he's thinking out there and he's playing with a lot of lineups. Um, so even when he started, uh, he was playing well, but now he still seems kind of lost. Uh, his defense kind of took step step back. Um, so I. I really don't know. I think it's all in his head. Like he's, he needs to just stay, stay in spotting up, uh, stay cutting off of Marcus Saul. Like that's where he should be getting his, his shots. He takes a lot of like, like he, he's one of the few people on the team who catches the ball and holds it and will like jab step and try to like figure out what to do from there. They'll have like beautiful ball movement and then the ball will get to him. And he'll like hold it, jab step, look like if he can do a one-on-one move. And uh, I just like him to get a little bit more in the flow. I think that'll happen uh, as he gets more acclimated to the lineups he's playing in. But um, yeah, I think that just comes with time and hopefully his shot, uh, it's kind of, it's still up and down, but he's, he's been pretty well doing catch and shoot. He's still pretty automatic on the corners. So I I don't know what else to ask, ask for him right now, Um, but he needs to be better 
for sure. Yeah, I think uh, I think that he's going through a similar thing that a lot of basketball players do. You're seeing a Kelly Oubre go through it right now, oh, where he's he's really trying to find what his role is on the team, and the way right. he is coping with it is by being like kind of forcing the issue. And by mm-hmm. the, like you brought up a great point, Kelly Oubre does this all the time for whatever reason. Kelly Oubre and Kyle Kuzma's first shot of the game tends to be an extremely difficult shot. And if if it goes in, then the whole night changes for them and they feel great. Mm -hmm. But if they miss it, it like starts them off on a bad note and then it just can kind of spiral out of control from there. And it's crazy because like the truth of the matter is if they actually let the game come to them and made sure that their first one or two shot attempts every game was an easy shot in the flow of the offense, balanced and open, it would actually trigger them into being in a better rhythm so that they could make the more difficult shots later on. But I've, I've said this about 17 times about Kyle Kuzma, and it's the truth. Kyle Kuzma is what he is, an inconsistent basketball player. It's not just in his results, it's in his methods. He's inconsistent with his defensive effort. He's inconsistent with his form on his jump shots. So that's an, a natural side effect of that is going to be he's going to have nights where it goes in and he's going to have nights where it's not. Sometimes he's kicking his legs. Sometimes he's landing straight up and down. Sometimes he's fading. Sometimes he's more balanced. Like every, everything about what Kyle Kuzma does changes on a night to night basis. And that inherently is going to lead to inconsistent results. This is just, this is the Kyle Kuzma experience. I do think right. the glass half full thing is as he gets older, as he becomes a more savvy veteran, he's going to learn how to replicate his good nights better just by, by just learning and, and maturing as a basketball player and as a person. So I'm not overly, overly concerned by it. All right. Let's see. Do you expect Mark to be more involved in the offense by season's end? I've been a little disappointment, uh, disappointed in his utilization thus far. What do you think? Yeah, I hope so. Like his assists have been way down the last few games. I think he had like zero, two, and like one assist. Um, you can tell they're still trying to learn how to play off him. I think LeBron's got it pretty well, but the other guys are still trying to learn. Um, and he's got to take the jump shot. Like that's there. Like I feel like him passing up that jump shot kind of just leads to all the other bad things teams can drop in the paint and then his passes aren't uh aren't as open um he's had a few turnovers with that um but yeah like i think the more important thing is like him and ad need to learn like how to make advantages out of each other like how to bend defenses to where like you can't guard one or the other you know what i mean like that's where like the more important thing is i think him and shooter have a nice connection but like that's where it'll be important in the playoffs um that's the whole point of getting Marcus all right. You're trading in the like shot blocking for the offense. Like that's basically what the Lakers did this uh, off season, basically. So I think that's where I would like to see it a little more, but he's, you know, he's a 30, he's in his mid thirties. He's going to be um, going slowly into this, into this season as well. So uh, I hope so. I, I Like I said this uh, before, like I would like to see him get a touch every single time down the floor. Like he's, he's just too unselfish not to, it's not like he's going to hold it, you know, jab, step, drop, drop hook like jump hook like he's gonna make the right play every time and i would like to see him get a touch every time it goes way too long like they'll just go up and down six times before he even gets a touch in the post in this against the spurs he was getting guarded by demar Derozan. like put him in the post like you know give him a give him a shot i would like him to see see him more involved yeah i 100 percent agree i think i think you can keep him involved without it disrupting the rhythm of the other guys on the floor um, some of this, some of this, as far as his utilization goes, comes in time. Cause you know, Marcus all is, a, is this kind of goes back to what I was talking about with point guards later. One, one of the, there's, there's been a good side and a bad side to what has happened in the NBA over the last several, uh, over the last decade. The good side is that every single 
higher end player in the league is more skilled individually. Everyone can dribble better than they used to be able to 20 years ago. Everyone has more variations of different shot attempts that they can get off against different types of defense at any, at any given point where, where there has been a decrease is there's been so much of this James Harden ball and pace and space and drive and kick that there's actually kind of like a, a limitation in the traditional forms of basketball, like backdoor cuts and deep seals and high lows and, and, and different sort of off ball actions that, that, uh, that, uh, that people used to rely on in older iterations of basketball. And that doesn't mean that it needs to happen all the time, but it means that when a guy like Marcus all gets involved in an offense, you're the guys on the floor aren't used to playing with a really, really smart player that's going to get them over, that's going to be able to hit them when they go on a backdoor cut, you know? And I, it, it's funny because, <clears throat> you know, I, it was kind of fun watching LeBron and Schroeder last night kind of have a little bit of an off ball thing going on where on these LeBron post ups, Schroeder was cutting through and sometimes LeBron would hit him for a floater. Sometimes he'd cut through to the other end. Sometimes there'd be an overhelp and he'd pop out for a three. And, and you could see that chemistry building. It just takes time. As long as Marcus Hall can stay on the floor defensively, which has a lot to do with just matchups, the, these guys are going to learn how to play with him better, and they're going to understand that it's going to open everything up for them. Um, there's, they, they're still putting him at the dunker spot a little bit more than I'd like. Um, I think it makes way more sense to have him at the top of the key as a post-entry guy. And like you said, a guy that you swing the ball to that every possession that's just going to continue to move it and keep the, that, right. that, that keeps the defense shifting from one side of the floor to the other while at the same time not disrupting the effort of the, or the, the rhythm of the other players. Exactly. All righty. Um, why do you think Vogel doesn't use a all-switching defense, especially with having Montrez? I'll take this one first. So the switching defenses require a certain type of personnel. The, the Lakers, if you actually like uh, wrote down all of their heights and, and what their specialties are, they have a lot of uh, they have a lot of players on the shorter end of the spectrum and they have a lot of players on the taller end of the spectrum. They don't have a lot of big switchy wings. They just don't have many of them. There's basically two on the roster in, uh, in, in LeBron and Kyle Kuzma. So the, the, the reality is, is if you look at a team like the, the Warriors in 2019 or 2018, they're running lineups with Kevin Durant, Andre Iguodala, Clay Thompson. You know, they're, they're running a lot of these bigger switchy wings. So it makes more sense within their personnel to run a switching defensive scheme. The Lakers have one of the best defensive rim protectors in the history of basketball and Anthony Davis. And the Lakers have a bunch of these quick, high effort, you know, ball pressure guards, guys like KCP, guys like Alex Crusoe, guys like Dennis Schroeder that are up in everybody's shirt and forcing them to to forcing them off the three point line into their height and into their their shot blocking. So running a switching scheme for them doesn't necessarily lend itself to the personnel that they have. And it's one of the biggest reasons why I think that the the Clippers have always been a, a, a bigger than usual threat to the Lakers, even though I still think the Lakers are a better team. They're kind of set up to attack some of the weaknesses in the Laker defense. But the Laker defense is specifically designed for their personnel. Something that I appreciate about Frank Vogel. They, 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 they have built their scheme to their personnel, even to the extent of making a change in their pick and roll coverage based on the loss of, of JaVale and Dwight. So I think it's, I think you, you trust these guys. They're pros. They know what they're doing. They've, they've watched the tape. They've uh, analyzed what their strengths and weaknesses are, and they've built a scheme around that and it works and, and switching for these guys would actually be a negative not a positive what do you think yeah yeah exactly and like you said earlier like the lakers trump card right is 80 at the five and like that's 
with LeBron AD at the five. And that's where you can kind of switch. That's what kind of makes um, AD the unicorn he is. Um, you can switch onto Dame, switch on to these uh, smaller guards. But like right now, when you're playing a traditional five, um, I know Harrell is a undersized, but he's still a traditional kind of big. Um, when you're playing him and Marcus All, it just doesn't make sense to have guys just on an island like that switched onto these guards. It's just uh, your defense is going to give up a million points. You're going to get a bunch of uh, dribble penetration. So I think you're right. It's better to have a scheme that's uh, goes with its players. So um, that's what we should be doing. That's what he does. And I think a lot of it's going to change. Uh, uh, a lot of the fortunes defensively are going to change when, when KCP comes back. I mean, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, he's a starter. KCP has been the biggest like kind of breath of fresh air for Laker fans in the last couple of years in the sense that he used to be kind of the butt of the joke because he was miscast yeah. as like a, not a primary ball handler, but like a secondary ball handler with those bad Laker teams. And like now, now he's, he's been kind of like focused into this like, you know, intense ball pressure perimeter defense role mixed with, like just really simplified spot up uh, offensive role where he's catching and shooting and catching and driving where he's just a ridiculous one leg leaper that, that that can finish around the rim and then, and then getting out in transition. And, and like right. ECP is a really, really good player that the Lakers have been playing without for the last little while. And, you know, it's, it's like with THT, you know, uh, uh, you talked about this earlier. He's just not ready to really make primary decisions. He has all the talent in the world. He's going to start seeing the floor better eventually, but that's going to come in time. He's not a guy that the Lakers can depend on this season. And so uh, uh, the reality is, is he's been playing a lot and asked to do a lot because of Caruso being out because of KCP being out. Like he's, he's, he's going to kind of fade out of the rotation as, as he should. He's going to be, guess what? He's going to be a Laker for a long time that no one needs to worry about unless they trade him, but like, he's going to be involved. They don't need him this year. Anything they get from him is just absolute like gravy. They have, they have a lot of depth in the backcourt this year that they didn't really have last year. And, and, and every, every, like, I, I think like, uh, I, my guess is that as the schedule picks up here before the end of the month, that you're going to see a lot of really dominant Laker performances because the talent really is there. And the biggest thing is that there is no other team in the league that is separating themselves. Mm-hmm. Like, like the, the, I, the Philly has been the one team that's been, that's been uh, better than the Lakers with their record and also just with, with impression around the league. And the Lakers literally have Marcus Gasol, who's one of the best Joel Embiid defenders in the entire league. Like a, what a, what a great, uh, uh, like weapon to have for that specific matchup. Like if I if I was a Laker fan, even with as crazy, uh, inconsistent and disappointing as this start has been, there are a lot of reasons to be really optimistic uh, about what right. this could eventually look like as time goes on. Yeah, and I have these notes here. I have a Jason Tim podcast notes, and my final note here is like, does any of this matter? Because I looked it up. Like you said, the trump card was LeBron and AD at the five. It's really just LeBron and AD. LeBron and AD are plus 17 um, net rating together this year. They're, uh, they have 102.5 defensive rating. That would be the number one um, pretty clearly. Cavs are number one right now, which just doesn't make any sense. But, um, yeah, so that's pretty much it. Like all, all these uh, other things are obviously luxuries, like Trez is a luxury in the playoffs. Um, it's going to come down to those two, and I think they're still the best duo um, in the league. And you saw last night, like there's – I mean, I watched the Clipper. I don't know. You got to watch the Clipper game um, last night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to. I want to ask you about that because they obviously have a new motion offense and everything, right? That's going on. But once it goes down to that like late game uh, situation, it's still give the ball to your star player and get out the way. Like I, I saw that, and I'm just thinking like that's what the playoffs is about. 
it's about giving the ball to your best players. And I think the Lakers still have the top two, um, mm-hmm. top two going. Well, and I, I thought there was a lot of interesting stuff about that game last night. Cause like, you know, I, I thought a lot before the season about how, uh, how I would rank the players in the league. And I, and I thought that, um, even after everything that went wrong for the Warriors and for Steph last year, that I thought he was still the second best player in the league. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that Steph and LeBron are, are the two best players in the world, in my opinion, at generating easy shots for their teammates. Right. And that is such an immensely valuable thing that constantly gets glossed over because the Clippers from top to bottom are filled with all of these players like Lou Williams, like Kawhi Leonard, like Paul George, like Reggie Jackson, like Marcus Morris, even guys who are who have developed a skill set that helps them make extremely difficult shots. But the problem is, is that when at the end of these close games, when defenses really dial in, basketball has a tendency to degenerate into a lot of isolation because Guys are grabbing and holding off the ball. They're switching screens. Just nothing's open in your traditional actions, even within the triangle offense that they're allegedly running, which uh, my guy Vinay says that they're not actually running it at all whatsoever. So the the point is, is the the Clippers, it's really easy to stagnate their offense. And when you stagnate their offense, they have a tendency to have these terrible runs. Or there, you know, there was another one last night where they gave it was like a twenty-five to four run or something like that against the Warriors. Whereas guys like LeBron and Steph, when offenses stagnate, they actually can continue to generate open looks. Steph by getting double teamed far away from the basket and getting guys into position where they can play four on three or three on two, and LeBron with the ability to basically back down to the basket until a second defender comes and start a three on two on the perimeter where it either is a one pass away three or two pass away three or something along those lines. Those two guys have a a sense with the floor of how to continue to generate easy shots when basketball degenerates while at the same time having the ability to make the difficult shots that you also need to be able to make. And that's why I think they're the two best players in the world. And I think last night was another great example of that. The game degenerated. Steph kept the floor open with his playing style while things really congested and slowed down for the Clippers and they literally fell apart. And the problem for the Clippers is good luck finding a good discounted point guard somewhere on the market with them not having any assets, no draft picks, no players that anyone around the league wants except for their two stars that, that they, don't, they don't really have a lot of options. And, and it's one of the biggest reasons why I'm not particularly worried about them compared to some of the other teams in the league yeah right and and we'll see they're trying to make paul george the point guard um the de facto point guard and Mm -hmm. again their offense looks beautiful those first three quarters they're running like zipper actions getting him like corner threes but once like the game slows down and i'm just watching just reminding me of the playoffs reminding me of the bubble not just the you know just them being uh blowing a lead but like just looking at the offense how it boils down into the playoffs and like you said you watch the rest of the league um you know that other than philly who has two losses like you talked about it's pretty much just open season utah blew out the bucks last night i mean it's just a weird season so right now it's just a time to stack up wins however you can get them one point wins 20 point wins um you just put them up and then uh from there you can get a rhythm in march and hopefully this team is uh hitting on cylinders uh when when that happens well hopefully the fans are allowed in the stadium in time for the playoffs that would be great because if fans were allowed in time for the playoffs the lakers seem to have a decent track to potentially get the number one overall seat, which would, yeah. uh, which would be interesting. Cause um, you know, the, the Lakers were as dominant as they were last year without the staples 
faithful there behind them. Right. Um, anyway, Raj, thank you guys so much, everybody for listening in Raj. Thank you for taking time out of your weekend. Uh, I'm glad we got this knocked out early. Everybody can go back to relaxing. Uh, again, I really appreciate all of your support, Raj. I appreciate you uh, being a consistent guest. You know, I always uh, love having you on, um, but I hope you have a good rest of your weekend and I'll talk to you guys later. Appreciate it, man. Thank you for having me.